Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the newest segment of the Disney Dads podcast. Each week, we'll explore the stories that made Walt Disney the American icon he is today. From Walt's birth to his death, this weekly show will be completely dedicated to Walt and the people around him. My name's Justin, and I want to welcome you to the second episode of Walking with Walt. Last week, we dove into the birth of Mickey Mouse and how he came from Walt's mind to paper to the big screen and now to the parks for us to meet and how he changed the world and changed pop culture for the rest of history. But where did Mickey begin? When was the first thought that Walt had of Mickey? Well, it took place at Laffergram Studios in Kansas City, Missouri. Walt once said, They used to fight for little pieces of cheese in my wastebasket when I worked alone late at night. I lifted them out and kept them in wire cages on my desk. I grew particularly fond of one brown house mouse. He was a timid little guy. By tapping him on the nose with my pencil, I trained him to run inside a black circle I drew on my drawing board. When I left Kansas to try my luck at Hollywood, I hated to leave him behind. So I carefully carried him to a backyard, making sure it was a nice neighborhood, and the tame little fellow scampered to freedom. So there it is. A mouse that Walt befriended and became a pet started the imagination of Walt to create the mouse we know today, Mickey Mouse. But where was this place? Where was this place that Walt had fallen in love with this pet mouse? It was the Laughagram Studios. And now what you're asking, what was the Laughagram Studios and how did it affect the future of not only Walt Disney, but the Walt Disney Company. The Laffagram Studios were on the second floor of the McConaughey Building in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, Walt didn't have a lot of money, but he did have some great friends that were great animators, and those friends and Walt would create the base of what would become the Disney Company. Now, in 1921, Walt Disney was contacted by a guy named Milton Feld, and he... Milton wanted Walt to animate 12 cartoons for him, which he called the Newman's Laughograms. Now, Walt was ecstatic. Walt had his own studio. He had his best friends by his side. I mean, they were, they were young. They were kids. And they were starting to make, although it wasn't much money, it was a little money for their drawings, for their animation, for their art. And Walt thought that this was the step in the direction that he had been wanting to take his art and his love for art. The Newman Laughograms were based on Frank Newman. He was a leading exhibitor. He he owned theaters, and he allowed Walt to, after some convincing from Walt, to play some of his newest animation uh, with the week, weekly newsreels that Newman produced uh, with his chain of theaters. And uh, that's where the name Newman Laughograms came from. And the the di- when Walt came to these cartoons he his whole idea was to not only you do advertising but to use comedy to sell and i think we still see that today with a lot of walt's uh, uh creations the newman laughograms were a hit audiences loved them they loved the short snippets of these animation and of the characters and of what they portrayed and the people just loved it and so walt felt inspired walt felt like he could take on something bigger and even though he wasn't making much money he would take all of his money and invest it into what in his mind was going to push the Disney company to the next level. Now, let me ask you, have you ever wondered why Walt 
took on some of these fairy tales that we love today. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, things of that nature. Well, it all comes from when Walt was 19 and he decided to do a spoof or a uh, a parody on Aesop's Fables, which it had actually had been done before um, by a New York animator named Paul Terry. And it had premiered in, in June of 1920, and Walt loved it. And so Walt decided he was going to, on his own, parody some of these classic fairy tales. Walt was really happy. He he had his own place. He was creating his own cartoons. He was you know creating animation in a way that he was proud of. He didn't have a lot of money. They were having problems coming up with, with money to keep the lights on. But Walt knew exactly where he wanted to go with his next uh, story, and it was Little Red Riding Hood. But the cool part was this. Walt was a visionary, and I think we all know that now. But at the time, Walt knew that he couldn't just do the Little Red Riding Hood story as people had seen it before. So Walt, being the innovator he is and the genius he is, he decides that he is going to incorporate not only the the story of Little Red Riding Hood, but he's going to incorporate uh, what would be local events and what would be the current climate that uh, people were living in at the time. So people could relate to the story, but it was a story they already knew. And Walt decided that this was going to be the one effort that he would put down that would take Disney to the next level. And they spent six months working on Little Red Riding Hood, him, his friends, and the help of a high school student named Rudy Issing, who actually later co-founded Warner Brothers and the MGM Cartoon Studios. You know, I find it really amazing that these guys were young. They were, you know, high school age all the way up to the early 20s. And, I, you know, I can see them sitting on the second floor of the McConaughey building there in Kansas City. And, you know, they're, they're creating something from scratch. And the amazing thing to me was that these these people, you know, Walt, Ub, uh, Rudy, who was, a, you know, still a high school student, were able to have a direction for their lives at such a young age and to focus all of their attention on the Little Red Riding Hood story that they were creating. And I think it's that dedication that Walt always had and the leadership he had that pushed the Disney company, you know, above what anyone else thought it would ever become. And, you know, they, I kind of, (laughs) when I think about it, I kind of think of it almost like a college dorm. Like these guys are sitting around, they're young, they're dedicated, they know what they want to do, but it's still, they're young, so they're having fun, they're enjoying it. Now, they're not making much money, and that's the problem. But Walt had an idea. Walt would put all the money they would make back into the studio, back into new ways to create the the pictures that he wanted to create. And, you know, with a Little Red Riding Hood, it was a very, very, very simple way of way of sketching, simple way of creating. It was a beginner's effort. It was um, animation. It came from a technique called splash and tear. And Disney learned from Edward Lutz, uh, uh, you know, this technique of how to uh, how to do this classic animation. But but the neat thing about Disney was he was always looking ahead. He was always wanting to take take what he knew and push it to the next boundary. Now, when Little Red Riding Hood came out, it wasn't but a year later that Disney puts out the four musicians of Bremen. Now, the cool part was, you know, Walt is sitting there and he is honing his craft. He is learning every time 
he puts out a new picture he's learning. And you can start to see the the makings of what we would you know see with the actual Disney company when it was created in Hollywood. Walt is refining his craft and he knows that the way it's going, he's going to create something big and it's going to be magical. So can you imagine being Walt? You know, Walt from from being a little boy who used to sketch on pads of paper that were given to him by his aunt that were so coarse, so so they, they weren't refined, and you could actually see the wood chips in them. I mean, the, the quality was so bad because Elias, his dad, did not see the point in spending money on such a frivolous and silly uh, um, way of way of spending you know your time. Walt, this has been Walt's dream forever. He had loved animation since he was a small child. And now, he's finally creating something that the world is loving, and he's finally reaching that top, that pinnacle, to where he is happy with where he's at. Now, he wants to he wants to create something more, he wants to go further. Walt was always a visionary looking into the future, but he never forgot the past either. Now, Walt, even though he wouldn't create Disneyland for decades, you can start to see in some of his early cartoons the the makings of what would be Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World because some of the cartoons were based on where kings lived in palaces and you would have small Midwestern towns and, and princesses would have parades down Main Street. And, you know, I, th- I think Walt was one of the visionaries that we, we don't see often in this world. He could see the future before it happened. Now, he didn't always know how he would get there, how he would achieve his future, but he would work as hard as he could and he would dedicate himself and he knew at some point he would attain what he wanted the future to look like in his life. Now, you know, most people, they only hear the positives about Walt Disney. And one thing I want to do with Walking with Walt is to take you on a journey each week not only through the positives, but through the hardships that Walt had as well. One of the hardships Walt had was financial. And the financial hardships that he faced with Laughagram Studios, they started the moment that he formed Laughagram. And that was the fact that you had younger guys and, and kids in high school that were creating a company, but had nothing to create it with. Now, they did have their art. And although they made little by little... Uh, through through some of the pictures that they created, Walt needed a distributor to push out the R- Little Red Riding Hood cartoons and the many others after that. So Walt and uh, a studio sales manager named Leslie Macy uh, went looking for distributors in New York. What they found was a company called Pictorial Clubs, and Pictorial Clubs was out of Tennessee. And they agreed to pay Walt $11,000 for six cartoons. This was huge for Walt and for the company, for Laughagram Studios, because they were having a very, very hard time keeping the lights on. They needed this money to pay bills. They needed this money to pay the animators. So Walt, up the gang, got right to work. But the deal with Pictorial was that they would give them 11000 for the six cartoons, but they would only pay $100 in advance, only pay $100 up front, 
and the rest of the payment would have to wait until all six of the shorts have been delivered. Walt was on top of the world. There was a big problem though. Walt was about to face one of the biggest hurdles he had ever faced in his life. A couple months after he inked the deal with Pictorial Studios, the studios went bankrupt, completely out of business, and Walt received nothing, not a dime, for any of the work they had done, and he had no way to distribute the work they would do in the future. They couldn't even keep the lights on in the studio before. Now they had no money coming in. All the animators left. Walt, sitting alone on the second floor of the McConaughey building in Laughagram Studios, had nothing to his name. He slept there. He only showered once a week. All he had were his ideas and his creations. But he didn't give up. A local dentist there in Kansas City approached Walt and asked him to do a short for the local dental school there in town. The short would be called Tommy Tucker's Tooth, and this earned the studio $500 and it allowed Walt to bring his aunt, some of his animators back in to work on the short. Disney was back. He wasn't back all the way, but he was back. The tactic we see Walt use next is something we will see him use many times throughout his life, and it's a tactic that takes a lot of guts because there is no room for error. And what Walt does is he takes the $500 the studio has earned off Tommy Tucker's tooth, and instead of paying the creditors, he puts all $500 into a live action animation of Alice's Wonderland starring a very, very young Virginia Davis. The type of animation that Walt is wanting to create with uh, Alice's Wonderland is something that the world has never seen before. And what it is, is putting a live girl into an animated feature, an animated short, to where she would be placed into the scene surrounded by animated trees, animated uh, um, pictures. Now, it had been done the other way around before. They People had done where you had live actors and then there would be an animated character placed in to a scene, but never the other way around. Walt was pushing the envelope like he always did. Walt sits in Laughagram Studios working on the editing of Alice's Wonderland and he knows that to be successful for this short, he needs to find a distributor. So on May 14, 1923, he writes to Margaret Winkler, who we spoke about last week, and sees that she may be interested in funding Alice's Wonderland. Not a month later, Walt has to file for bankruptcy. He knew that he had something special with Alice's Wonderland, but in July of 1923, the studio just couldn't sustain itself, and Walt files for Chapter 11, bankruptcy. Now, Walt didn't give up on this he made a little bit of money by shooting a uh, a small film and he sold his movie camera and he had just enough money to buy a ticket for a one-way train ride across the country to hollywood california laughagram studios is no more that part of walt's life is over with and as Walt stands at the train station waiting for the train to arrive to take him cross-country to Hollywood, he knows that he has 
the unfinished reel of Alice's Wonderland. He's excited. He's scared, but he's excited for this new journey. And he knows that once he finds distribution, the people will love what he has created and they'll want more of the magic of Walt Disney. I want to thank you guys for joining me for the second episode of Walking with Walt. This show means a lot to me because Walt is an inspiration, I think, not only to me, but to all of us. When we started talking about what Walking with Walt would be, we wanted it to be a realistic view of Walt's life. Walt was a man, and he wasn't perfect. He was flawed. But his flaws were so overshadowed by the positivity that he brought to the world. The amazing thing that I always find in Walt Disney is it wasn't the high points in his life that created the legend we know today. It was the low points. It was the troubled times. Walt once said, all the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. Walt always knew what to say. So thanks for joining us this week for a little look into Disney history, and we'll see you real soon to go walking with Walt.